And thank you, choir. Those in junior church, you're invited to go downstairs this morning now for your Christmas program practice coming up a month from today. So a month from today, we'll be hearing in the evening the children's Christmas program. Praise God for our young ones. It's great. Great to see that. And if you would take your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Guess what, church? We are now, this morning, in the last technically doctrinal area of Romans. This is it. At the end of the text, the rest of the book are Paul's travel plans, which we can get a lot out of, a lot of theology and a lot of application. He's going to tell us about his past travel plans, present and future. He's going to tell us uh, in chapter 16, even all the various co-workers that he greets and he works with. So there's much to learn. But at the conclusion of the morning uh, here, at the end of verse 13, we really complete the book of Romans. And uh, again, it's not complete in the sense of the, the ending, travels, and greetings. But when it comes to the doctrinal portion, remember, Romans has been broken up into four areas. It started out in chapter 1, verse 18, with God's wrath being poured upon all this planet. Every man, woman, boy, girl, religious, rebellious, it doesn't matter. If you, even if you're a good moral individual, God's wrath is poured upon you. And I told you it's like the story of the ancient story of Damocles, who was a king's friend, and he begged and begged his king friend to say, let me be king for a day and sit at your table. And the king said, well, okay, I'll let you sit there. And so he's here at the banqueting table, and there's music and festivities, and this friend is like, I love being king for a day, until he looked straight above him, and there was the sharpest sword he ever saw, and it was hanging on a horsehair that could break at any moment. And when that hair broke, that sword would split him in half and kill him, and he thought, I am feasting and having fun under a sentence of death. This world is feasting and having fun, even in COVID days, under the sentence of death. God is angry with the sin of this world. And yet, the, rest, the next section of Romans talks about how the grace of God has been poured upon us. His love and his mercy, which we richly receive and do not deserve and have not earned, he gives to us by faith alone. Then we see God's great plan for Israel. Someday, unbelieving Israel is going to be trusting in Jesus the Messiah. And what rich blessings that Israel will have as Israel has blessed us with the word of God and with the Messiah. Then in chapters 12 now, all the way through 15 here, we've been receiving good instruction about what is God's will for your life. God's will is to present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is just reasonable as an act of worship, to be renewing your mind through the scriptures, to be humble, to live a life of love, to subject yourself to governing authorities, to owe nobody anything except to love them, and then to get along, church, if there's people with differing, differing convictions about non-moral issues, non-doctrinal, non-moral issues, let's just get along. Don't, uh, don't judge one another and don't despise one another, but get along. And here we are in chapter 15. Do you know the greatest example of one who was able to get along with those that were his enemies? the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that we need to pattern our life after the Lord. Let's bow in prayer. Then we're going to pick it up in Romans 15, verse 8. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the book of Romans. 
We started this back in the spring when the snow was still on the ground and we were anticipating a warm spring and a wonderful summer and all of that has passed and we are now entering a winter season again. But we're grateful for this truth of this book. It is glorious. It is magnificent as it displays the, the righteous character and the gospel message of our Savior. Help us now to apply the text that lays before us. Open our hearts and our minds that we might understand truth. And for those who do not have a relationship with you, the living God, they have never put their trust in you alone. May today be their day of salvation. For without trust in Jesus, without faith alone in Jesus, every man, woman, boy, and girl listening to this will perish for eternity. This is life or death, Father. So thank you for giving us a message of hope in the text. In Jesus' name and for his glory, we pray. Amen. Romans 15, just for the context, we're to bear up with one another, right? If you're strong, you see you have lots of liberty in Christ, and then there's others who feel they cannot do certain things. We don't punish them, and we are not just tolerant of them, but we actually bear up with them. We come alongside and carry their load. That was chapter 15, verse 1. Verse 2, we need to do all things to edify one another. I don't want to rip you down and tear you apart. I want to build you up and have you walk in the most holy faith. So my goal is to not please myself, but to build you up so that your faith is strong and your life represents Christ. Verse 3, we need to pattern ourselves after Christ. He didn't even please himself. When Jesus came to earth, he suffered reproach and shame and abuse by this world. Why? Because he sought to please his father. So why should you accept one another and receive one another in the church? Well, because that's what Jesus did. And our goal is to please the Father as well. Verse 4, we saw last Sunday night, saturate yourself with scriptures. For whatever things were written before, that's the Old Testament, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. See, that's the goal. The word of God gives us an anchor of joy and peace and hope. So saturate your life with the gospel and with the scriptures, and you will receive one another. We'll have a unified, happy, and holy church. So let's get into the word of God, because it's the comfort and, and source of hope for us. And then verse 5, may, and now he prays, verse 5 and 6. So we need to pray that we would be like-minded. May the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another. Paul even prays. So we need to pray, God, make me like-minded with one another at Faith Baptist. Help me to love the church family. Help me not to judge or despise, but to love one another and be like-minded. Father, I need to pray about this, and I need your help in all of this, that we might glorify God in verse 6. See that? That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. That is your purpose. You know the purpose of humanism? Humanism says the chief end of man is the happiness of man. I want to get out here in the world and I want to make myself happy. And if it means more money, I'm going to get more money. If it means more exercise, if it, that's what I'm going to do to make me happy, I will do it. If it means a change in diet, a love of sports, if it means whatever, as long as it makes me happy, that's what I will pursue and make as my goal in life. Wrong goal. That's humanism. Biblical Christianity, the chief end of man is to glorify God is to make his name great and to reflect his name and purpose in my life, in my mind, if every, with every aspect of myself. He's going to use this idea of unity, 
between the church, let's get along church, and the idea of the glory of God with one last example before we close the doctrinal section. And it is this, the unity between Jews and Gentiles. Can you imagine back in the early church what it would be like if a Jewish person, let's say you were Jewish in the biblical days of the Apostle Paul, you would never have ever stepped on a Gentile's piece of property. You would never have walked down their street. You would never have gone into their house. You would not eat the same foods. You would not celebrate the same holidays. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even have the same necessary clothing items. You were so distinct from Gentiles, you called them dogs because they were outside the covenant of God and they were worthy of being despised. So then in the church, when the church is born, in the same, in the same building, in the same room, you have Jew and Gentile together. And they were like, but we've never sat with a Gentile our whole life. And the Gentiles are like, we've never sat with a Jewish person ever. And then they have a church meal, and the Jewish people are like, we've never eaten with a Gentile. We would shake our sandal dust off on them, but we would never eat with them. And now Paul is saying, Jew and Gentile, you are one church, one body, receive one another, and have a unity for the glory of God. Here's how he says it, verse 8. Now I say, Paul says, now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. See the example? Jesus came, although he is Lord, he came as a servant. He even took his robes off and washed the disciples' feet, which is a servant task. Jesus gave an example of how we are to love one another and serve one another. The goal in the church is not to be number one. The goal in the church is to be last, right? Nobody here is seeking number one. Everybody needs to look at me and applause me, and I'm all, I'm all there is to, it, to everything. Not at all. We, we came and we come here in church to serve one another, just like Jesus did. Now, he's going to give us two reasons why Jesus became a servant to the circumcision. The idea of circumcision, it's a covenant term. It was the sign of the covenant of Abraham. So Jesus came as a Jewish man, as a servant to the Jewish nation, because of the covenant. There's two aspects of his servants, of his servanthood. The first is this, end of uh, middle of verse 8. For the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Jesus came as a Jewish man, as a servant of the circumcision, for the truth of the word of God to fulfill the promises made to Abraham. So take your Bibles. Let's do this quick. Let's go to Genesis 12, and I want to find out what is the promise God made to the fathers. He made the promise in 2000 BC, Genesis chapter 12. Back to the first book of the Bible. Abraham, back then he was known as Abram, he was a pagan idolater in Baghdad, Ur the Chaldees, current day Baghdad, Iraq. And Abraham is out there serving his false gods, living his life, like Joshua 24 says. And the God of Mesopotamia, the God of heaven, came to Abraham in Mesopotamia, Acts chapter 7, and revealed himself to Abram. And he made a promise, a covenant with Abraham that was unconditional. It wasn't based on Abraham's behavior or his children's behavior or even current day Israel's behavior. God made a promise. Here's what it was. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country. Get out of Baghdad, Iraq. 
and get out from your family and from your father's house. Leave it all behind. Walk away from your business, your business dealings, your family, your inheritance, your houses, to a land that I will show you. So the first aspect of God's promise was land. God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you physical property on earth from the Niles River to the Euphrates. It's called Israel, the promised land. Abraham, I give it to you as a gift. You don't have to pay for it. You just have to dwell in it. Then he goes on, verse 2, I will make you a great nation. In order to have Abraham be the father of a nation, he has to have children. Now, Abram and Sarah, our husband and wife, Sarah is barren. She has never been able to conceive a baby, and he's 72 years old. And she, she cannot have children. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. And God said, Abraham, Abram, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And then later, many nations. So this is the promise God made. Did it happen? Yes. When Abram is 99 years old and Sarah is 90. So not only is Sarah barren, her womb is dead, but as a 90-year-old woman, she cannot reproduce and have a child. Even if she was younger, she couldn't do it, but now she's 90. And God said, a year from now, Sarah will have a baby, and his name will be Isaac. And sure enough, Abraham and Sarah conceived in that great old age and had a baby. So did God confirm the promise? Yes. And then look at the next part. I will make you a great nation, verse 2. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Look at verse 3. Here's the third part of the blessing, the covenant. So there's physical land, physical descendants, but there's a third blessing, and it's spiritual blessings from Abraham to every nation in the world. And you know what includes all the nations? Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. I have no Jewish blood in me. I don't have a drop of Abraham's blood. I am a Gentile. And God said in the covenant that he will even save a Gentile and bring them into relationship with Jesus. Look at verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So do you know why Jesus came as a servant to the circumcision? He came to fulfill that verse. He came to provide salvation to every Jewish person and to every Gentile. Now, Jesus is Jewish, so he's going to save the Jewish nation. But he has come not only to, to save Israel, but he has come to save every, every nation on earth, all the Gentile nations. We find that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. Now, here's some other promises. Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. One of his sons is named Judah. And when Jacob was on his deathbed, Israel is his name, he gets a name change. When Israel is on his deathbed, can you picture this? He kind of gets up on the head of his bed or on a staff. The Hebrew is the same. And he looks at the 12 boys gathered around the bed. And he says, Reuben, here's my prophecy of your life. Thanks, Dad. Simeon, Benjamin, Levi, I mean, Benjamin's last, Levi, and he goes right through the list of 12 sons on his deathbed and says, here is your future laid out. How would you like that? Some futures were not so great. But Judah, as, as Israel, as Jacob points his finger at Judah on the deathbed, he says, my son Judah, out of you will come the king of the Jewish nation and the savior of the world. 
And then out of Judah, one of his descendants will be the Savior, the Messiah. And then in Isaiah 11, it gets narrowed down to Jesse's line and the line of David. Now, out of all the world, the Messiah, the Savior, comes through Abraham. Out of Abraham, it flows even narrower to um, Jude, to uh, Jacob. And then from Jacob, it goes to Judah out of the 12. And then out of all the children of Judah, it comes to David and his family. So why did Jesus come? For the truth of the word of God. He came to fulfill all of the promises of the Old Testament. What line he would be born from, what city he would be born, when he would be born, all of it was notated in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, there are over 330 prophecies of Jesus' first coming. 330 prophecies. If you were to to take the state of Texas and fill it with quarters a foot deep, can you picture the whole state of Texas filled with quarters a foot deep? And out of all of the quarters, one was painted blue. And it was mixed up there in the state of Texas. And you were in a helicopter, and I gave you a fishing pole with some line and a little magnet. And I, if you could pick up a quarter, a quarter with the magnet, and you could pick one quarter out of the state of Texas, the probability of picking the blue one is better than one person fulfilling all 330 prophecies. It cannot happen. But one man, it happened. Jesus Christ. He, he fulfilled every prophecy of his first coming perfectly. Are you amazed? Why did Jesus come as a servant to the circumcision? To tell the Jewish people, there's only one Savior in the world. He's a Jewish man, and it's Jesus. He came to save the Jewish people and to, and to fulfill the, the Abrahamic promise that out of Abraham, every nation will be blessed by one man, Jesus. Has Jesus blessed every nation? Yes, there have been people, there have been believers in Jesus in every tribe and tongue and nation. Even though some are unreached, there are some that, may be, that have heard the gospel that would be saved in every area. They're going to be represented before the throne someday, Revelation 7 says. But do you get the idea of what we're saying here? Let's go back to Romans 15, because that's only the first part of why Jesus came. He came to save the Jewish people. Romans 15 Now I say to you, Paul is writing, Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. He fulfilled all of the Old Testament for the truth of God to confirm, to to show true and real the promises made to the fathers. He came to fulfill all of that. What a glorious thing. Do you know the text in Hebrews 10? Can I throw it out at you? Hebrews 10, 4 and 5. It says this. When Jesus was about to come to earth the first time, It's what it says, when Jesus was about to come. Now, you know, I was born on July 18th, 1967. Yes, I'm that old. July 18th, 67. Um, Before that, of course, I was conceived in my mother's womb. But listen, before I was conceived, I did not exist. I was not a little twinkle up in heaven going, get me a home, get me a home. Peggy Wita, sure, sure. I did not exist. I did not exist. I, there was, Brian Weeda did not exist until I was conceived of my mother and father, right? It's just true. But Jesus, he, 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 he existed from eternity past, and he knew, God knew, on a certain day, I'm going to go into the, 
to the womb of a virgin in Nazareth. And my father is going to knit my body together. He's going to put my veins and arteries and tissues together. He's going to make my little heart start beating. He's going to give me eyes and ears. And sure enough, the body of Jesus formed in the womb of Mary. But, but Jesus said before he became a baby, see, he, he could do that because he's God. I can't do that. I was just born in July of 67. No existence prior to that. But he said, when I come into my mother's womb and the father knits me, and this is Hebrews 10, by the way, Jesus says this, behold, in the volume of the book, it is written of me, I have come to do the father's will. Jesus is saying, everything written about me, I will fulfill perfectly. Now, you've got to be amazed at Jesus, right? Without him, we are nothing. He is everything. So that's to the Jewish people. But what about the Gentiles? Verse 9, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. You see, the Gentiles were not included in Abraham's covenant. They didn't get the land or the seed, but they do get the spiritual blessings. So Paul is saying, even in the Old Testament, all the Jewish people knew salvation is available to everybody. Right now, salvation is available to you. If you put your faith in Jesus, the moment you die, you will be in heaven with the Savior. If you reject Jesus Christ, if you try to earn your way through religion, through rituals, good works, or even if you don't even believe any of this, you die, you will perish, and you will be cast into a lake of fire forever, and you cannot get out. It is that serious, which is why we're here today. We're here today to learn truth and to hear these things. So Romans 15, God says in the Old Testament, I'm going to open the door to the Gentiles that they might glorify God as well. He's going to prove it with, with four different texts. Look at verse 9 from Psalm 18, from Psalm 18 uh, also a song of David that David quotes in 2 Samuel 22. For this reason... I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. David says, I'm going to sing the name of Jesus all, to all the, in the midst of all the Gentile nations. They will overhear me. Well, so there's a little sense in, with, in which the Gentiles are included. They will, they will at least hear the name of Jesus confessed among the Gentiles. Verse 10, and again he says, now this is by Moses, the great man Moses, right before he dies, here's what he says. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Why could the Jewish people rejoice? Because God promised a savior, Jewish, carpenter in Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah. But then Moses says, hey Gentiles, I'll let you have some joy too. Jesus is going to save you as well. Aren't you glad for that? Moses says this. Look at verse 11. And again, we just get evidence after evidence that in the Old Testament, the Gentiles could be included in God's people if they believed. And again, verse 11, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. God wants every Gentile and every Jewish person to be saved, to trust in, G in Jesus and have eternal life, that we might glorify God because of his mercy. See, this invitation is open if I gave you an invite to come stay at our house, you'd have to keep the wood fire going, but that's okay. But if I were to say, come on over and you can have a room in our, in our second floor, that invitation would be open to you, but you would have to come, right? You would have to come and dwell there. So Jesus offers eternal life to everybody, and you have to come to him by faith, 
by trusting him alone and not by works. Here's another one, verse 12, more evidence. And a, oh, can I tell you something about verse 11? You want to know, you want to know what I find? I think God is funny. He's humorous. He's got a great sense of humor. Um, look at verse 11. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. You want to know why I think this is funny? The book of Psalms. See the hymnals we have? That's our songbook, right? The hymnals. Uh, the book of Psalms is Israel's hymn book. It's, the, it's where they went to sing songs together. And in the middle of the songbook is Psalm 117. Very short. It's a very short song. You can sing it real fast. And you want to know the whole theme of Psalm 117? It says nothing about the Jewish nation at all. It's only about Gentiles. So in the middle of a Jewish songbook, you get one song that is totally devoted to Gentiles praising God for salvation. I think that's, I think that's funny. All the Jewish people, they would be like, I hate the Gentiles. They're dogs. They're in the middle of your hymn book. You sing, you, they sing praise to your, your same God. You need to love them. You need to care about them. I think that's funny. Verse 12. Here's another one from Isaiah, the prophet. And again, so we've got the writings, Deuteronomy. We've got the law. We've got the poetry books. And now we have the prophets. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse and he who shall rise to and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. So from Jesse, from David, will rise a Jewish king, and in the Jewish king, all the Gentiles who who put their faith in him will have hope in a great leader. Now we've had many presidents in the United States, some better than others. Some have been some faces have been put on a cliff of a rock. And others have not made it that far, right? But none of our presidents, I don't care if it's the very best one we've ever had, none of our presidents will compare to the King Jesus when every decision he makes in his government will be perfect. There'll be no injustice. There'll be no, there'll be no crop failures. There'll be no um, economic strife. There'll be no wars, no battles. It'll be peace and everlasting righteousness. Can't wait for that day. That's why we have hope in, the, in a Jewish king. All the Gentiles find hope. Now verse 13. Now may the God of hope, oh, he has such hope and plan for your life. May the God of hope fill you, fill you completely full. With what? With what? With all joy and peace. That goes back to Romans 14. You know what joy and peace is? The kingdom of God. May this God of hope, who has promised a glorious future, may he fill my life up with all sorts of joy and hope, uh, joy and peace. This, listen, this week, you will have opportunity to pursue jo uh, joy and peace in the world. You're going to run around trying to find happiness at the casino. You know, at the casino, oh, I'm going to win some big bucks. Um, at a big buffet, oh, I'm going to fill up my empty stomach. Uh, the TV, oh, this movie is going to make me feel so good and I'm going to have such peace and lasting hope and joy. What happens after the casino and the buffet and the movie? You're just left empty and defeated again. You're discouraged. This world stinks. Honestly, it just stinks. It gives nothing. It offers everything and gives nothing. But the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing. It comes by faith that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Boy, if there's one thing we need, it's hope, that there's a glorious future yet to come for us. And with hope, we will be able to endure anything on this earth, right? 
knowing that Jesus is the Jewish king, opening the doors to the Gentiles, giving us joy and peace fully that we may have hope for a, a glorious future. If, if it is true that when I die, I just cease to exist and I go into nothingness, well then eat, drink, and be merry. Get the most you can out of this world. Get the best car, eat the best food, take the best vacations, because when you die, you cease, if that's true. But it's not. There is a glorious future and a hope for us. So that should actually affect how I live this week and what I think about and what I do. It's all shaped by what I believe. And, and with believing in Jesus, you get joy and peace to the fullest with abundant hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that concludes the book of Romans, the doctrinal teaching part. That's it. That's how we conclude this great book. You believe in Jesus. The wrath of God is gone, right? The wrath of God is gone. The grace of God is given to you. You have joy and peace and abundant hope. Amen. It's great. But let's, let's, trek, let's trek on a little bit. Verse 14. Now I myself, Paul says, am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. There's three characteristics that Paul identifies with the Roman church. He has never been to Rome. He has never met them, all of them personally. He knows some of them, but he hasn't met all of them. And so he wants to commend them. He's, a, he's a, a great writer, and he's telling the truth. He's like, here's what I know about you Romans. You are full of all goodness. You are just kind. Because if you believe in Jesus and you live like him, you'll just be kind. You'll be good men and women. You will do the right thing. So you're filled with all goodness. You're filled, Paul says, with all knowledge. They, like, they get it. They, they know the gospel. They believe the gospel. And they, they, they know truth. They have experienced and now know the truth of the Bible. Not perfectly, obviously, but they, so he's not saying, oh, you know, in Romans, you know why I wrote you this book? Because you don't know anything, and you're evil, wicked people to the heart, and you need me to teach you this. That's not why he wrote Romans. He's like, I know that you're living this out with goodness to one, to one another. I know that you're filled with all knowledge, and you're able to admonish one another. The word admonish, it means to come alongside and correct. That's not easy, is it? It's never easy to correct somebody. What do I do when I get corrected? Oh, the defenses rage up. Oh, you can't be serious. This not, that's not really me. I'm this glorious person that you... That, you know, what, when, we are, when, we, when we are confronted or rebuked, it's serious. Our, our defenses rise up and we're like, no, that's not me. But it might be, and often it is me. So the church in Rome was able to take truth and put it into one another's mind. It's the idea of nuthetic. It's the idea of putting scripture into one another's mind to correct them and to bring them back on track. So we need to be, we need to be all three of those, Faith Baptist. We need to be good. We need to be good people of the kingdom of God. Not that we're saved by goodness, but goodness should just flow out of a life of Christ. You become who you, who you hang around with. If all I hang around with are senior high or high school students, man, I'm going to start acting like them and talking like them and dressing like them. Stop! I, you, know, I, you, know, that's, you know, you become like who you hang around with. And when you hang around with Jesus, 
You become like him. You think like him. You talk like him. You act like him. So we, we need to be filled with all goodness. We need to be filled with the word of God so we have understanding of doctrine and truth. And we need to use this to keep one another on track. Now he's going, going to continue this idea of, hey, Romans, I didn't write you the book to, um, because you're inadequate or you needed some major help. He says this in verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren... I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you. Why did Paul write Romans? We need to be reminded of the gospel. I encourage you on a regular basis to read through Romans. Don't just ignore it. We, I won't, probably in my lifetime, I will never preach Romans from beginning to end again, ever. I'll be dead. Because there's too many books of the Bible that I need to go through still. This is already my second time preaching through Romans. I did it in 2005. Now it's 2021. I might not be alive the next time I preach it. Or I'll be in, you know, in a hospital bed preaching from the, from the back or something. But, but um, you want to know why we need to read Romans over and over? To be reminded of the grace of God and the wrath of God and the will of God and the plan of God. So he's writing first to remind them because of the grace given to me by God. And secondly, he's writing because that's his duty. It's his responsibility. Verse 16, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. Now, I told you God is, is funny. I don't mean this in a, in a blasphemous sense, but God has a great sense of humor. Do you know who God picks as an apostle to the Gentile nations? the most pharisaical, self-righteous, law-abiding Jewish man he could find. He finds the most arrogant, law-abiding, Benjaminite, Pharisee of the Pharisees, Hebrew-speaking Jewish man, and says, I'm going to save your soul, and then I'm going to give you a ministry to the Gentiles who you grew up hating. Yes, sir, I'll do it. And he does. Paul goes to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. That was his calling. So the Romans, they're Gentiles. Most of them are Gentiles. There are some Jewish people there, but there's, they're a Gentile church. And Paul says, I'm writing the book of Romans to remind you, and then also because it's my duty, my responsibility. Now, do you know what God's responsibility for me is? I'm not the Apostle Paul. But guess what his duty is to me? He raised me up, and I believe before the, before the foundation of the world, and, and God said, you know, Brian, I'm going to have you under-shepherd this church at Faith Baptist by a roundabout. And you're going, to, you're going to stay there, and you're going to teach, and you're going to encourage them and strengthen them and, and, and show them how to be obedient to the word of God, to trust the Lord and then follow with discipling them. That's what he told me to do. And, and I'm like, okay, I'm all in. It's great. I know what I'm supposed to do, and now I just want to be all in doing it. For Paul, his duty was to minister the gospel to the Gentiles. Then he says that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And here's where we're going to end. I don't want to rush. Okay, I do. But I'm not going to. Uh, this makes me sad, but I really wanted to push through and actually finish the book tonight. But I'm not going to because it's not fair to you. Plus, it's not right in my own spirit. But I, I, I have studied this for months now, and I'm already deep into the Old Testament for um, our January series. I can't wait. I could preach it right now. It's so fun. But this is fun, too. So I'm going to end here, and then we'll pick it up tonight and just go as far as we can. 
And if after Christmas we pick up chapter 16, I'm good with that. I'd like to do some, some teaching on Christmas and some prophecies of the first coming. And then we'll pick up Romans 16, maybe. We'll see, where, we'll see where we end up. But are you okay with that, church? So what have we learned today? Just to put it all in a nutshell. Here it is. Jesus Christ came to prove the truth of the Old Testament. Every prophecy that was told about him, he fulfilled. Were other babies born in Bethlehem? Yes or no? Yes! Many babies were born in Bethlehem. Are babies born in Bethlehem today? Yes! But they don't fulfill the prophecy of Micah 5.2. Because it says, out of you, Bethlehem, will come the eternal God to rule. God himself would be birthed as a baby in Bethlehem, it says, Micah 5.2. So Jesus fulfilled all of these to confirm the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Jesus also came as a servant to, to, that the Gentiles might glorify God because he saved us in his mercy. Are you glorifying God with your body? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You should not have one thing you do during the week that you're just doing it without God's thought. You, you need to be even washing your dishes thinking, thank you, Lord. I don't like washing dishes. I don't like it at all. But thank you, Lord, for the dishes I have because many people don't even have dishes. So with gratitude and thanksgiving, Lord, I want to glorify your name as I wash these dishes and as I make this food and as I vacuum the rugs or whatever it might be. We just, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Now he shows evidence of that with Gentiles being included in the Old Testament through various texts that we looked at. And then the prayer is that the God of hope is going to fill your life with joy and peace. So here's my challenge. Right now, are you at peace with whatever's going on in your life? Your life may be a wreck. It may be shambles. The rug may have been pulled out underneath you, but is your life full of joy and peace? If you want that, even in the midst of trial and tragedy, you can have it in believing, in putting your faith in Jesus Christ alone. You get eternal life. You get a home in heaven. And I'll tell you what, on your deathbed, when you're laying in a hospital bed or at home, and you're ready to take your last breath, you will be thankful to, to Jesus Christ forever if you put your faith in him. If you die without him, you have regrets for eternity. It's that simple. So may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. Like, have abounding hope, not just a little bit of hope. Abounding hope, like, you know what? Things are going to be better. Yes, COVID. Yes, people are, have died. And, but you know what? There's still a plan and a purpose and a ministry for us. And we'll do it wholeheartedly until the Lord returns or until I die. So let's do it, right, church? Let's do it. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then let's not forget why Paul wrote. He's reminding you of these things. And he is... Uh, the, really, the apostle to the Gentiles. And you and I are Gentiles. We need to listen to this. All right, well, we'll pick it up here tonight and see how far we get. With the, uh, we thank the Lord, though. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. What a glorious text. And we, don't, we just want to bask in it. We don't want to rush through it and, 
and then miss, miss some important truths. So we're thankful that these are, are reminders. We've heard these things now, and every time we read Romans, we'll, we'll be reminded of these great truths. We're thankful, Father, that you are a God of hope. You are not a God of discouragement and failure. You, everything you do is executed perfectly. Your plan for eternal life, your plan for this world, the nation Israel, the church, will come true. Jesus proved it by fulfilling all the promises to the fathers and giving salvation to the Gentiles. So we have hope in you. You are a God who cannot be defeated. You are a God who no one can take down and no one can rise against successfully. So if we trust you, our future is guaranteed and our hope, our hope is sure. So we're thankful for this promise in the Bible, and I pray that this will affect how we live and how we think this week. To the praise, glory, and honor of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. All right, church. Wow, what a morning. Well, we could just keep going, but we're going to stop here, uh, pick it up at 6 o'clock tonight. If you are able to stay for just a few minutes, we'll try to get some uh, chairs out of here. We'll put them in the back with those dollies. We have uh, round tables and rectangular tables we'll bring up. We'll get it all set, and praise God for Tuesday night, 6.30. God bless, church.